Emory Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and welcome to another edition of Direct Snap. This is episode 10, and we're going to call this episode Cherry Picking on Narrative Street. And I'll explain that in a second, but you can follow me on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. I'm also on Instagram, Facebook, and Vine under the same tag, Football Game Plan. We're also on YouTube. You can check out all of our updated videos, analysis, previews, all those good things we have in video form, which is unlike any other website at youtube.com slash football game plan. And if you miss any one of our podcasts and want to find these things archived on our website, you can visit the website footballgameplan.com slash podcast. And if you're not familiar with what we do here on Direct Snap, this is a podcast where we address a lot of controversial football topics that many want to either tap dance around or completely avoid. And I feel like I haven't done one of these things in a while. Again, we've been busy over here at Football Game Plan. We've done a lot of college bowl game previews. We've been on the road at NFL games, uh, providing our four downs with the czar segments and things of that nature. But we also have some cool things coming down the pike for draft season, starting with our coverage at these all-star games. And if you're not familiar with the all-star games, you have the East-West Shrine game. You have the NFL PA game. We'll have Brandon London, former NFL and CFL player. He's going to be out there covering the NFL PA game in Los Angeles for us. Uh, you have the Senior Bowl. So Teron and I, Gene and I, Chris as well is going to be at the East-West Shrine game. We're all going to be at the Senior Bowl. Um, you have the FCS National Bowl that took place early in December. I want to say first week of December. There's a Dream Bowl, which takes place the same time, I believe, or just before the East-West Shrine game that is down in Virginia Beach. You had the USF, USF, uh, I'm sorry, the USA Football National, USA National Football Bowl, or All-Star Game, I believe it's called. That's down in Savannah, Georgia. That's MLK Weekend as well, probably around the same time as the Dream Bowl. But a lot of these college All-Star Games are coming and happening and it's just a good time of the year because it, let's say from a fan perspective, a fan's perspective, you get to see all of these top college players compete in one area. Those that actually attend and not, you know, dip out for whatever reason and say they don't want to compete, don't want to play, uh, which is totally fine. I'm not going to knock anybody for that, but you get to see all these guys compete in one area, a good week of practice. Um, they compete harder in practice than they do in the games, but you do have an opportunity opportunity in the games to make an impact. A lot of guys can raise their stock in the eyes of scouts uh, during this week of practice. You know, during these games, we saw EJ Manuel do so at the senior bowl. You've seen guys like uh, Ladarius Smith last year play his way into the senior bowl by having an outstanding week at the East West shrine game. We've seen uh, back when they had the college all-star game and the medal of honor bowl. Um, we saw Walt Aikens go from medal of honor bowl, go down to, the East-West Shrine game, then graduate again to the Senior Bowl. So, you know, these are tremendous opportunities for players to, to put together some good film against top-quality competition, and I have no problem with, with the way they conduct these games. The only issue I have, you know there was an issue coming in. You know there was a butt coming in here, right? The only issue I have with these All-Star games is the selection process because I remember growing up, it used to be a situation where you reward guys for having tremendous careers. So when you see someone like a Kevin Hogan in a senior bowl, I have no problem with that because quite honestly, if you just look at the numbers, he's had a tremendous career. Now, does that make him a very good pro prospect? No. It's just the fact that this is a senior bowl game. You want to reward guys for staying all four years and being very productive all four seasons or at least three out of the four seasons. Um, because you you don't see a lot of freshmen playing, and you, you see more now than you did back then. But for the most part, you want to reward guys for staying the four years and being highly productive. So a guy like Kevin Hogan makes sense in a, in a senior bowl game. you know. But you see some other guys that I think now what I really don't like is that it has become a business as opposed to an all-star game. You know, I remember back when 
on Christmas Day, you had the blue-gray game. And I tweeted that out on Christmas Day, like, hey, what times does the, does the Kelly Tires uh, blue-gray game, all-star game, come on? And the reason why that was successful, because that was an opportunity. It was similar to the Shrine game, where you had a bunch of lower-level guys, or let's say teams, uh, players from teams that didn't make bowl games and or the FCS playoffs or the Division II playoffs or what have you, uh, playing in that bowl game. Uh, because it was one, it was on Christmas Day, and uh, guys that were on teams that are playing in bowls are still in the playoffs. They have to practice, so they won't make it. So it was a great opportunity to showcase the, a, a lot of guys from uh, places that you may not have seen. I remember my senior year in high school. That was the first time I actually got to see Brandon Stokely. I heard so much about him. I was going to Louisiana Lafayette, but I hadn't seen him play. Um, he tore up the East. He tore up the Blue Gray game. Ended up getting drafted by the Indianapolis Colts. So. I'm sorry about the Baltimore Ravens um, that following spring. So it, it's just interesting to see, you know, you wanted to see those guys. They had the Hula Bowl, which was great as well, similar to the East-West Shrine game where guys played in Hawaii, and that was a real uh, popular one as well. I remember watching, again, my senior year, you're seeing guys like uh, Chris Howard play in the Hula Bowl. You saw Ricky Williams play in the Hula Bowl. Um all of that was pretty cool. So, but now I feel as though it's like a business where you have some guys that have put together tremendous careers in college that are not getting the opportunity to play in any one of these, let's quote unquote, major bowl games. So that's the Shrine, the Senior, and the NFLPA. Um, a guy like Kyle Washington of Angelo State, you know, 6'6, 220 type quarterback dual threat guy, a lot of mobility, but tremendous passer. You want to see him play against these top, you know, this top competition to see if he's worthy of a, of a draft slot. I think so. Um, he has had a productive college career, two-time All-American, broke a lot of records. Why wouldn't you have him in one of these three major all-star games? Just like Matt Sotez of East Stroudsburg. I mean, threw for a gang of yards, had a seven-touchdown game, followed it up with a a, a, a six-touchdown game, I mean, he's a, he's the type of guy that you want to see in an all-star game. He would have been the perfect player to play in the blue-gray game or the hula bowl or now the East-West Shrine. So I'm surprised he, neither uh, Kyle Washington or Matt Soltes have found themselves in a bowl game. You look at Dalen Williams, a guy out of Dartmouth. I mean, tremendous passer, pro potential. All these guys have pro potential. And, you know, you want to see what they can do at the next level, so the next step or the, the bridge to see that happen will be playing in one of these all-star games. And, you know, you have these other all-star games that are that are popping up. Um, like I said, the FCS Bowl, the National Bowl, Dream Bowl, USA National Football, college all-star game. Um, but it's interesting because, and I don't have a problem with these bowl games because they provide opportunity for guys to put tape on. Um, but you look at their pay-for-play, so guys have to pay their way to play uh, some there there's two schools of thought of that process some people hate that you have to pay to play in an all-star game um, and some people see it as a as an investment in your future future I understand both sides of it you know you know if you want to pay for play it, it's kind of tough to call it an all-star game especially when you look at the fact that because you, you run the risk of inviting everybody and Everybody is not an all-star. You know, you have somebody that may have played all four years but may not have had success, but he, if he has the money, he's in an all-star game, which is good for him. You know, that's a worthy investment. On the flip side, if you have somebody, let's say like a Matt Soltes or a Kyle Washington or a Dalen Williams, where you didn't even get invited to the East-West Shrine Senior or NFLPA, hey, the FCS or National Bowl or Dream Bowl or USA College Football uh, All-Star Game may be a great option. That's a worthy investment. Here's an opportunity to see me showcase my talents in front of, you know, scouts or what have you. The other problem is when you look at the games itself, you know, since it's not the quote-unquote elite level talent of an All-Star Game, I think there's there should be some vetting process of who gets in. Because otherwise, let's say you have a, a Division Three All-Star game, right? Where you have the quote-unquote the best of Division Three or the best of Division Two, or even the best of the FCS. And if it's not the best of those divisions, 
then why why are you playing the game? Also, I think another way to look at it is that how is that even different from a regular season game? So if you have the best of the Division Three level, you, as a scout, are you really getting to see that person against top quality competition? You know, quote unquote top quality t- competition, or are you just watching another regular season game? Which is, you know, basically what that is when you don't have a variance of talent. So you, in my opinion, you want to see a Division Three guy that that was dominating on that level play in an FCS game versus FCS players or versus division. You know, you want to see them play a level up. You want to see the FCS guys play against the FBS guys, you know, so you don't want to see them play amongst each other because they've done that their whole career. That's the only issue I have with the, with the other lower level games, but you have to find a way to create a niche. I mean, there's an opportunity for a third all-star game. I just wish the NFL PA would just move their game up a week. And that way everyone can make, all three majors, you know, the NFL PA, then go down to the Shrine game, then go to the Senior Bowl, you know, and that'll be your all-star trip. There's also the Gridiron College Showcase, which will do something different this year. Last year they had a game and had a lot of good talent in that game. It was on TV. Um, this year they're not playing a game. They're going to focus on the most important part of what scouts feel as though is the most important part of an all-star game, and that's the practices. So they're going to focus on – the four practices and don't play a game, which is a unique idea. It helps them on the business side save money, and it also helps the players maximize their time there, not waste the time of scouts by dragging out a, a game. You know, you get to work on individual drills. You get to see how guys move. You get to put them through different tests, different um, situations without even have to worry worrying about putting in a game plan or preparing for a game. I get the importance of the game. You want to see them in live action. You can't fake live, but these all-star games are pretty darn close to what you get to live action because of the competitiveness involved, knowing that scouts are watching. So, I mean, but we're excited about these all-star games. We're going to have tremendous coverage because a lot of the coverage we're providing in these all-star games will kind of fall into what we have planned for draft season with our draft guide. It's going to be a unique draft guide that we're coming out this year. It's probably going to, it's, I'm willing to bet it will be the first of its kind. Um, so be on the lookout for that. And a lot of what we're doing at these all-star games that we're not going to post publicly will tie into what you'll see later on uh, with our draft guide. So that that's my take on the all-star game circuit. And I do think uh, there's a ton of benefit. I just want to see a little bit more corralling along the the lower level bowls because there's an opportunity that there to be successful there's an opportunity to create something unique and great. I think everyone has to pull together. Um, you can't have five chefs. You have to have one chef and a bunch of different uh, cooks within that, that kitchen to create a great meal. So if those guys can pull together and put together a great opportunity right before the East-West Shrine game, I think they could do wonders. I swear, the longer I'm away from these podcasts, the more things bother me in the media. I mean, the more times I see things that just really grinds my gears, guys, as people like to say. But one thing I really don't like that I hear a lot of, and this probably ties right into the whole Johnny Manziel thing or, you know, let's say certain receivers or, you know, whatever position it may be, the whole player X needs to be more like player Y. You know, it's the dumbest premise or dumbest thing ever because no two players are the same from skill set, from mentality, from work ethic, from what makes them tick. You can't expect two players to be the same. And if it was that easy to just be like the other guy, then many players would have just been like the other guy. Why wouldn't you just be like Jerry Rice? There's a reason why Stephen Hill can't be like Jerry Rice. Because he's not Jerry Rice, you know. So when you hear, man, Johnny Manziel needs to be more like Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, or or Tom Brady. They, they toss this out all the time as if it's that easy. You know, Drew Brees isn't even like Tom Brady, who isn't even like Peyton Manning. And so what? If the, you know, it's just I heard this on a radio show yesterday. He doesn't. He's a type of guy that's a nine to fiver. You know, he doesn't bring his his work home and stays at the complex. Like, okay, let me let, let's break this down. You know, 
Johnny Manziel isn't in charge of the country. Johnny Manziel isn't in charge of a hospital. He's not doing groundbreaking research on, you know, cancer treatments or curing the ills of the world. Yes, you take that home to try to figure out a better way for humanity. Johnny Manziel is playing fucking football. There's only so much you can do to prepare for a football game before you actually play a football game. So him working nine to five, devoting eight hours to studying film or doing what you have to do, practicing, working on the game plan, studying film. At the end of the day, it's football. So you can prepare all you want. You could take all the books home. You can take home all the video, all the, you can study until game day. And if you get out there and you stink it up, because you you slow reacting to what the defense is doing to you, or you just a terrible talent, that has nothing to do with your preparation. But people like to believe that okay, if I bring, if I just sit, if I'm the first one there, and I'm the last one to leave, then I'm showing I'm working hard. Well, if you're the first one there and the last one to leave, and you still go out there and you're terrible, then you're just fucking terrible. It, it doesn't make sense. It's the worst concept of any time of anything when people say these these dumb things They're like oh he needs to be more like Peyton Manning for what like what has Peyton Manning won every championship uh since he's been in the league has he won every championship since he was at Tennessee did they win the SEC like man be be more like Tom Brady Tom Brady isn't even Tom Brady like you, you know Tom Brady is a gamer and I'm pretty sure all of these guys prepare because that's their job, to prepare. But to say someone should take their work home, as much as in this country, in this world, people talk about work-life balance. No, in football, you have, if you better, you can't even have a party. You better be in that playbook because this game is serious. Football is serious. They like, man, get out of here with that bullshit, man. That's just the dumbest shit I've ever heard. I need to get like a clip of 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 every time I hear some dumbness and just play it on these podcasts, you know, because that's just dumb. The, the other thing I hate is that the media tends to the media has a job and their job is to inform the public, you know, and this is switching gears. But the media's job is to inform the public and they cannot allow themselves to mislead. But I feel as though nowadays people are in the business of purposely misleading the public. And by nature, you know, the majority of people are sheep. And that's not to say that's a bad thing. You know, the majority of people just tend to follow the next person. There's only a few set of leaders. Um, and that's just nature. You know, it is what it is. I'm not saying that you're bad for being a sheep. We all follow people at some point in time. Um, some do it more than others. Some are afraid to step out and be a leader. Um, so I understand you, you tend to take the word of what you see on TV because you're trusting that this person that is put in position or this person that's put in a position to write an article or, or based on what they saw at practice or based on what they've seen in games, you're trusting their expertise and their level of professionalism to give you valuable information. The problem is the media is doing a great job of misleading the public on purpose. And it's just so it's terrible. So you have someone that's at the at a game, and it's so funny. I'm sitting here at a Giants game, uh, in the press box with a couple other writers, um, and we're watching one thing play out, and I'm and they're tweeting about that this happened when it didn't happen, or you know player Y is doing this when player Y did something completely different, but that person has the the outlet. That person has the platform and doing a horrible job of keeping the public informed. I just, I don't get it. I don't understand why some people in the media, um, you know, don't take the opportunity to inform the public properly. You know, you see some of these people that are, that, that are quote unquote, calling themselves experts. Um, like the child, you know, how they have the, the child expert that doesn't have children, you know, just writing all these books about children um, and how to parent and how to how to be a better parent, but don't have kids. You know, you see that a lot in, in sports um, and more particularly football, because this is a football website and this is a football podcast. I see it a lot. 
guys that have no business doing what they're doing but call themselves experts. How what's the what what is the amount of wrongness you can have if that's even a word? What's the amount of being wrong? How many times you have to be wrong to to lose your title expert? Whether that's X's and O's expert, uh, you know, reporting expert, um, you know, draft expert. When do you lose that title of expert if you consistently are wrong on all of the shit you say? Because at some point, I, I hate be I hate the word expert because I think that word just it, unless that means you don't have mistakes, which we all do, you know. And if you're a football analyst or writer or beat writer or whatever, calling yourself an expert is the dumbest thing you could do. Because tweets never forget. Twitter never forgets. You know, that, that's why I love video, man, because I'm a, I'm held accountable for everything I say. I can't go back and edit a date on an article, on a video. I can't go back and change what I said in a video. I'm held accountable for everything I'm saying on video, which is why I love doing video. Some people hate video. Why? Because they can't go back and edit. They can't go back and change what they said. They can't delete an article. I mean, they can't go back and delete that video. So people are funny, man. I just find that amazing just how how the media, I, I will never, ever mislead my listeners, my readers, my viewers purposely. If I'm wrong on something, call me out on it, and I'll go see where I was wrong and correct it, you know? But it's just it's, it's funny how the media purposely misleads you like they'll make the media will make you believe that the Buffalo Bills need a quarterback. The media will make you believe that Teddy Bridgewater is terrible. The media will also make you believe that Ryan Fitzpatrick is MVP worthy. The media has made you believe that Kirk Cousins deserves a long-term contract and RG3 is terrible, that Colin Kaepernick is terrible. And that just ties right into my next point, because you see where I'm going with this. I just wonder why calls all in the studio. I'm just wondering why black quarterbacks bring out the extreme takes in people. You know, like Bills win a game 16-6 in a a sleet storm. And the next day, I mean, the, 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 the light's not even fully off yet at the stadium. The next day, articles come out. Tyrod Taylor needs, I, you know, Bills need a quarterback in the first round. Let's take Counter Cook, who's the epitome of average. But let's take Counter Cook and put him in a situation where, you know, we can win with him even though we've never seen him play at this level and we've never seen him do anything, you know, spectacularly well at the collegiate level. I mean, they got a big game coming up two days from now uh, against Alabama, but let's take counter cook. Uh, Tyrod Taylor, I've seen enough, you know, even though he has been the most efficient quarterback outside of Russell Wilson this season. And he's played well in his first full freaking season of starting. With inconsistent help around him because guys have been injured. But he's the problem. Never mind his defense has given up a bunch of points. Tyrod Taylor is the, is the issue. You look out in San Francisco. How's that working out for him? They put Colin Kaepernick on the bench and all of a sudden he has this injury, right? But it's because he was playing poorly and Blaine Gabbert gives us the best chance. Blaine Gabbert went out there in that first game and played perfectly average. Did just enough to where people could say, oh, yeah, he can he can play. Nearly cost him the game against Atlanta. Threw a, a terrible interception. Played Blaine Gabbert-like, but nah. You know, this, I mean, maybe he could be the, the guy that they won the game. Now, all of a sudden, quarterback wins count, you know, when it's a guy they like, though. Oh, yeah, he, yeah, he, see, he won. You know, he, I mean, he wins. But if you're talking about quarterback wins, you bring up Russell Wilson, quarterback wins this is not a stat. And we did a whole podcast on how foolish that is, how quarterback wins is a stat, how it has correlation to playing good quarterback, uh, you know, playing the quarterback position properly. I just don't understand why the why black quarterbacks bring out the extreme case. Brandon Howard wrote a great article uh, talking about Ryan Tannehill in conjunction with the, the funny 
but vulgar comments by Miko Grimes. I mean, if you just take away the the messenger and take away the rawness of the message and really get to the point she's trying to make, she has a ton of merit. Ryan Tannehill is an average player that has gotten his college coach fired, which was supposed to make his transition to the pros easier because he knew the playbook. He already had a step ahead of all the rookies. He's gotten his offensive coordinator at the pro level fired outside of his college head coach. He, he's gotten his head coach fired. He's gotten his second offense coordinator fired. And his interim coach is about to get fired. And they have consistently gone 79 to 8-8. Eight eight. Ryan Tannehill is what he is. But he's getting constant opportunity. He got a big deal for going average. RG3 led the team to the playoffs. And people were still questioning whether or not he could play. Kirk Cousins, oh, you got to let him grow. You got to give him time. You got to let him grow. Colin Kaepernick took his team to the Super Bowl, damn near two. Damn near one, one Super Bowl off of, you know, a, a fade. But nah, they got to move in a different direction. RG3 is washed up. It's funny, man. Oh, Bridgewater's not good because he's not putting up these eye-popping stats like Blake Bortles, who's keeping both teams in the game. But Blake Bortles is, is I mean, look, he's growing. He's about to throw 40 touchdowns. Never mind his 25 interceptions are the reason why they're 5-9 and nine or 6-9 and nine or something like that. If you want a comparison for Teddy Bridgewater, look no further than Troy Aikman. Playing under North Turner, that offense, just you won't put up a bunch of stats. And people will point to Phillip Rivers. Yes, that's a good example. That's a good counter argument. I like that. I like that you're thinking. But if you're looking for a comparison, just Bridgewater is Troy Aikman. He's just doing what he has to do to move the football down the field. Doesn't make mistakes. And he's putting the ball in the end zone. But I just don't know why people are so extreme about black quarterbacks, man. You know, you try to make a point about Nick Marshall knowing the whole backstory of why this dude moved the cornerback and people will try to nuance the hell out your, out your comments. It's almost like they're afraid of the black quarterback. I don't know why. Like people are just hilarious, man. And it, it, you know, you see it, you're going to see it with Keenan Reynolds. You know, if you really want to be a scout, your job is to find talent and to not dismiss information. But people will look at Keenan Reynolds running the option and ignore everything about his ability to pass. As if you can't throw uh, if you're running the option. As if Vad Lee didn't go from an option offense to a spread offense and put up crazy numbers at James Madison. He's another guy you want to keep an eye on. So just because you're in that in an option offense doesn't mean you can't throw. It's about you as a scout trying to find what he can do as opposed to what he can't. And if you watch any film, which a lot of these dudes don't even do, um, if you watch film, you'll see Kenny Reynolds can throw. Now, can can you see enough to where he progress? Can well, can he progress as a passer if put in if put in a traditional situation? Probably so, because he's not a bad passer. We've seen option quarterbacks that are bad passers. You know, I mean, there's a difference between Navy's option and Army's option. There's a difference between Navy's option quarterback and Air Force's option quarterback. You know, Air Force has better receivers, but they don't have the better quarterback that can throw. You know, Army has a really good quarterback that's a tremendous runner. I think he's a better runner than Keenan Reynolds, but he doesn't have the arm that Keenan Reynolds has. That's the difference. That's true scouting. That's actually doing your homework. But a lot of people don't do homework. They tend to copy, um, which ties into, you know, a whole other thing. I don't want to say copying because then people will get all tender and sensitive and, you know, and they'll they'll start to, you know, uh, tweet me or subtweet like, oh, uh, it's not copying. It's creative borrowing. Right, 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 right. We all just share information. No, you don't share information with people that, that know more than you. You're stealing information. It's creative borrowing, you know. So funny. When you, when you see things and then you start to – I've seen stuff over the years being utilized – written and verbally spoken on TV, on websites, on Twitter. All I ask for is just a, a little credit. Just say, hey, you know, football game plan said this. Oh, I heard this from Emory Hunt at football game plan. Or oh, we heard this or seen this in a football game plan video, you know, with Gene and Toronto Chris. Just give us credit. We're an outlet trying to grow. But don't 
steal what we say, rearrange it, and put it in an article, and then pass it off as your own comment. That's dumb. That's trash. You know, we're not going to sit here. And this is why, and I've said this before in the podcast, but this is why I have scaled back on a lot of information I've put out there on what we got coming down the pike or what we're working on or uh, what I see when I'm looking at a prospect as I'm watching it because people steal shit and they don't give you credit. You can sit here and say one thing and all of a sudden somebody will say it right back to you like, yo, I just fucking said that. People, I, I swear, man, that creative borrowing in the media is a terrible thing. And you see it in, in other articles, too, like beat writers. You know, they tend to, one person asks a question, asks a great question. I've seen it with Tehran. I've seen it with, with Brandon. They get the best answers from these players and coaches. And people uh, go and write articles based off their answers without even giving those guys credit on the question. But as soon as they don't ask the question or as soon as they pull a guy to the side to talk to, oh, well, you're being different. You're being standoffish. You're not talking. You're not sharing information. Like, man, go, go, go suck a bag or something, you know. So I just hate that part. Do your own work. Be confident in your own work, you know. And, and it ties into I'm tying so many points together in this podcast. I'm on a roll. I didn't even take a break, you know. But that ties into the other point, like why people miss, man. On, on so many things. You know, I think when you look at the, the landscape of sports media, let's say in, in this football space where people want to be the next Mike Mayock or people want to be the next Mel Kuyper or the next, uh, you know, S- Stephen A. Smith or whatever they want to be, Skip Bayless, you know, they want to be the next best analyst. You know, wh- whoever, your, whoever your ideal analyst is, whether that's broadcasting, whether that's scouting, whether that's uh, analyzing the game from an X's and O standpoint, whoever that that standard that you have is, you know, and you want to strive to beat people, people don't put in the work. It's almost like the comment that Mark Jackson made about Steph Curry. I understood the comment. He wasn't saying Steph Curry is ruining basketball. He's just saying that a lot of guys are not going to put in the same work that he has and only see him shooting threes and not realize he's putting in the the work elsewhere to, you know, to f- smooth out his game in addition to him shooting threes, you know, so shooting threes just don't make you Steph Curry. That's the point. That's the point he was making. So just because you can break down a prospect, not even break down, let me scratch. That's too much credit. Just because you can regurgitate what the masses have said, doesn't make you a, a draft analyst or a scout, you know, just because you can spout off some cliches doesn't make you a football analyst. People find this out on a daily, man. People, when, you know, people look at TV and they criticize Phil Sims. They criticize, uh, who's another lightning rod for controversy with the play-by-play and, and analysts? They, whoever they're criticizing. You know, let's say, um, I forgot the young lady name uh, that does college football. But they, they criticize her, too, you know, because uh, she does play-by-play for college football. You have Phil Sims, who does the NFL games, and they criticize him. They call him terrible, or I can't listen to it. But, you know, until you put the mic in, in those people's faces and tell them, okay, well, you do better, they realize how hard it is and how smooth the broadcast sounds when you have a professional. And that's the big difference. You know, people just think they can do it because they see it done without knowing the background work that's involved. Hell, I started doing color commentary more this year. I did 16 games this year. And every game I worked with, I want to say maybe four different uh, color commentary. I'm mean, sorry, four different play-by-play guys this, this season. And I tell them all the time, what you do is, you know, way different than what I do as far as a color guy. But the amount of work and prep that they put in, it's impressive. I, I'm like, yo, you guys are prepared. That's hard to do play by play. They tell me it's hard to do color because you have to know about a lot of stuff. I'm like, yo, it's hard to do play by play. So that mutual respect is there. And I'm not going to say so-and-so sucks on a broadcast because I know what, what goes into that. I know how tough it is. And when you hear people try to mimic and do it and it sounds garbage, 
then that shows them that, hey, yeah, I, maybe I need to scale this back because it's hard, you know. But I think as, you know, as far as like, let's say this this draft process, because that seems to be the one in everybody wants in. Everybody wants to be the next Mike Mayock and Mel Kuyper. Everybody feels as though they can break down prospects. But a lot of guys just pass over processes. You know, like I said before, on my last podcast, the football perspective, you know, Having played gives you an ex- give you gives you a different perspective. Having coached gives you a, a different perspective. Not having played or coached gives you a different perspective. You know, it's about understanding one's perspective. You know, but one can't speak in absolutes if one hasn't experienced certain things. So that's the that's the uniqueness of it. But I think some people miss, let's say, in the draft part because they don't have the reluct reluct they they're reluctant to improve. You know, let's say if you constantly miss on prospects, if you constantly say wrong shit, that's contradictory to what you see on tape. Like you can't say so-and-so can't read a defense and then in the next sentence say so-and-so goes through his progressions pretty well. You know, so that's contradictory, you know, but and if you're constantly wrong on prospects, you can't just chalk it up. Well, you know, the draft is an inexact science. Ha, ha, ha. No, it's not. You just suck at what you do. And a lot of times people's fandom get into to the way too. Like, you know, people that write for teams. And I get you have to – you're writing toward the fan base. And you, you're trying to cater to that audience, which is going to get you more readers. I understand the business of it. But you, if you're trying to take yourself seriously or you want people to take you seriously – um, and what you say you wanted to have merit, you have to be critical. You can't be a blind fanboy. And people hate the word fanboy, but it's, it's, it is what it is. Like, you can't sit there in a Ravens jersey, writing about the Ravens, at the Ravens games, talking about the Ravens can do no wrong. You know? And you can't be on the flip side of it with a, you know, with a, a, a Jets jersey, sitting at the Jets games, with the Jets hat on, for the foam finger writing about everything they do is terrible. So you can't be the overly critical fan, fanboy, and you can't be the overly positive fanboy. If you're going to be a writer or an analyst, you got to be down the middle. You can't have biases. Yes, you may like a team. I like the Saints. But you're not going to see me sit there and say, you know, Drew Brees is playing at an elite level right now. He just needs this, 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 and this. <laughs> like, No. You can't even tell which I'm a, who I'm a fan of. You know, even if you're a Dolphins, like for instance, let's say Brandon Howard and Teron Davenport. Teron is a, a Baltimore Ravens beat writer. Brandon is a Miami Dolphins beat writer. They do a great job, and neither are fans of the team. You know, and their articles and their analysis is so fair and balanced that people think they are fans of the team. That's the mark of a good one. So you can't come out and say, you know, Ryan Tannehill is playing great ball. And then, you know, when he's not, you're just being a fan. You can't come out and say that the Saints defense is still great. And and they've given up the worst, uh, damn near all the points in football. That's being a fan. You can't come out and say the Bears, you, you know, are a great football team, they just need a little guidance. No, that's being a fan, man. They're not good right now. They're okay. Like, it, it's it, taking your fandom out of it will allow you to see the game a lot better. Some people are just unqualified, too. You know, some people think that just because you pick up a pen, you're a writer. There's a process involved, you know. Some people think just because you can watch some, you know, some All-22, you, you're a film guy. No. There's a process to it. Some people don't even know what they watch. Some some people could sit there and watch an entire game and miss the entire game. You know, so some people just are flat out unqualified to do what they do. And the majority of people have no opinion of their own because their opinion is coming from them because they're trying so hard to sound and be like the people that they idolize, you know, the people that they strive to be, that they – end up saying the same shit that they say. So why even get into this this business if you're just going to 
echo the same points that have already been said. You're not even allowing your own thoughts to come through on paper. People want to people follow you because they want to hear what you have to say. You know, it's just it's amazing to me, man. I just find it funny. So I just think that people really need to check themselves at the door. If you really want to be in this football writing thing and you really want to be better and, and good at what you do, then have your own opinion. Do your research, become qualified, become better at your job, seek out more information from people that that know a little bit more than you. Give them credit, but also work to get better. You know, if you work to get better, I respect everything that you do because you're trying to get better. Everyone tries to get better or should try to get better in any line of work. I think the majority are doing that, but there's always a pocket few that seems to be the loudest ones that like to take shortcuts in this. And, and it, their their work is terrible, terrible. Their takes are terrible. You know, they don't have an opinion of their own. They're mimicking and copying. There's no original thought, you know, and it, I think that's the biggest problem right now in sports media. Cherry picking on Narrative Street. I, I like this topic. And, uh, you know, it's the funny part about cherry picking because it can make any argument sound great. I'm sorry. It can make any argument sound great. Uh, hence the term cherry picking. And people only cherry pick when it's when they're driving down narrative street because it fits what they already have preconceived about the player or the team or, you know, whatever. So what a what better way to pick cherries in on narrative street? Right. Prime example, Kellen Moore. So Kellen Moore is a quarterback that was 50 and three, I believe, at Boise State, played a lot of big games, won a lot of big games for that football team, helped put him on the map. Um but hasn't really gotten an opportunity in the NFL. Um, he played extremely well in the preseason when given the opportunity. Never got an opportunity in the regular season game. He got so two weeks ago in uh, in Dallas, uh, replacing a terrible Matt Castle, and he played okay, but he also was playing inconsistent. People instantly, would, after the first incompletion, people was like, see, this is why Kellen Moore can't be a quarterback. And I'm thinking like, whoa, I remember – and because it, it was on the second pass, he threw an interception. Listen, this was 2000. This was 2000. I was at the Saints Raiders game, right? We were, uh, I was, you know, still in college. We had a bye week. I had tickets to the Saints Raiders game that weekend. We went down. We were in the Superdome. This is back when the Saints, you know, you could really get in uh, without paying. But I had tickets to the Saints Raiders game. And the Saints were on a roll that year. I want to say they were maybe five and two. And this was the year they, they ended up making that run to the playoffs and, and winning their first playoff game in franchise history. So I was at the the turning point of that season was that Raiders game because Jeff Blake, who was playing great up until that point, got hurt. And everybody thought the Saints were going to put Jake DeLoman, who, you know, played well the year before uh, against the Cowboys, won that game. And people were like, OK, at least we could we could put Jake in. He's played Saints did something totally out the realm of, of of thought. They went to Aaron Brooks, and no one knew who Aaron Brooks was. Like, you know, people had an idea he played at Virginia. But people were like, wait a minute. You're going to go past Jake DeLone, who, who's played with the Saints, won games, local guy, and you're going to go to Aaron Brooks? And naturally, Aaron Brooks and the Raiders defense that year was awesome. So Aaron Brooks gets in the game, first pass, interception. Fans were like, man, what the hell? We're going to get blown. Second pass, touchdown to Joe Horn. And the Saints made that a game. The Raiders were good that year. Saints, that game came down to the wire. Um, and the Saints defense gave up a, a, a late uh, touchdown, I believe. So the next game against San Francisco, Aaron Brooks became one of the first pass. I think was the he broke a record. He threw for 300 yards and ran for 100 yards in the same game. And they beat the 49ers. Then they ended up beating the Rams. They beat the Rams in the playoffs to win their first playoff games with, with Aaron Brooks. So a lot of times, you know, it doesn't matter how you start. It's how you finish. That's what they tell you. But I said all that to say this. Kellen Moore threw the first threw his, threw an interception on his second pass. Uh, and then later on threw a touchdown. Had them in the game, um, but threw a touchdown, threw an intercept late. He had a bad, he had a, he had a you would consider that, you know, a bad game. But if you look at it from the perspective of that was his first game throwing in that, you know, as replacing a quarterback, he played well. He played well enough to where they had a chance to win. You know, last week against Buffalo, 
in a sleet storm, the same sleet storm that Tyrod Taylor played in and people criticized him even though they won. But Keller Moore played without Des Bryant. Receivers were dropping the ball. You know, there were a t- couple of perfect throws that receivers turned the wrong way and missed the opportunity to make the play. But all you heard instantly, see, Keller Moore can't play. Forgetting the fact that it was a fucking rainstorm, sleet storm, cherry picking on narrative street. Johnny Manziel played a very good game. He played his ass off out there against Kansas City. Yes, he missed some throws. Which quarterback doesn't? Show me a quarterback that goes 40 for 40. But when you're cherry picking on narrative street, you're going to ignore the fact that he ran for 100 yards, a big reason why they were in the game. You're going to ignore the fact that their passing game uh, from, let's say, a receiver standpoint, receivers couldn't get open. Yes, he missed some open receivers. That will happen. That's part of football. That's called quarterback, and you're not going to hit all of your targets. But people will ignore the games he's played against San Francisco, Kansas City, Tennessee, because they don't fit the narrative that they've already faced in, uh, uh, you know, frame for Johnny Manziel. They're going to focus on, they're going to ignore the Pittsburgh game. Well, you know, Pittsburgh's team is, is eh, eh, you know, Tennessee is that they're, they're three and 12. Yeah, San Francisco's not that good. So people will ignore all the positive things and focus on the negative. Why? Because when you're cruising down narrative street, there's the best cherry trees you could find. You're cherry picking. Just like they do with Colin Kaepernick or any black quarterback, right? So it's funny, man. It's going to be funny this draft season, too, because people have cherry. I'm still waiting for Cordell Jones to lose a football game. Um, you know, because people will say, oh, he, he's, you know, he's, uh, he got benched and they subsequently lost. <laughs> so now they're they're playing in the Fiesta Bowl instead of playing in the playoffs. But people love the cherry pick. They love the cherry pick with draft prospects. You know, that ties right into Cardell Jones. But looking at what they would highlight for one player, for instance, when you look at a guy like Carson Wentz, who I think is just like Matt Castle, good athlete, one read type guy, see it through a type of a passer, inaccurate, good, you know, intermediate strong arm, struggles with the deep ball. People want him to be a first-round pick. Now, people will look at Cardell Jones and see a guy that, oh, he got benched. He he throws inaccurately. Never mind the fact that, you know, when you look at the offense he played in last year with Tom Herman, who's now done a fabulous job at Houston, they played more of a pro-style offense last year with Cardell Jones. He leaves. Now the new offensive coordinator is putting Cordell Jones in a situation where they're trying to make him JT Barrett. And, oh, wait, he doesn't look like JT Barrett. So naturally he won't have those quote-unquote numbers or that same splash that he had last season. But he hasn't played poorly. If you watch the tape, which a lot of guys, again, like I said before, don't do, you've seen that. Well, but he overthrew this pass here. But when, you know, Connor Cook overthrows a pass, they oh, you know, he's a uh, – He's, he's, he, he's gutting it out there. You know, so it's just funny how people cherry pick with draft prospects. You see it at the running back position. You've seen it with Derrick Henry. You've seen it with Ezekiel Elliott. You're going to see it with Devontae Booker. You're going to see it with um, some other guys in the backfield. People will, let's say all four, all four of these backs are gaining yards positively. Tough to bring down, making things happen, a fixture for their offense. But people will cherry pick which stats fits their argument on which guy they think is better. Why do that? You could have four good running backs. It's fine. You could like all the guys. That's that's fine. You know, and people always focus on outliers versus trends. So let's say if I say Ryan Tannehill is an average passer, and in order for the Dolphins to win with Ryan Tannehill, they have to take the football out of his hands until he's proven the fact that he's going to get better situationally, which his main issue for me, in my opinion, is that he's skittish in the pocket. He's scary. and Let's just call it what it is. He's scary in the pocket. He flashes when he sees pressure. He freezes, and he takes a lot of sacks. He's Rob Johnson. However, if you're going to take the ball out of his hands, minimize his attempts, you know, give him that 17, put him on that black quarterback plan that people like to put, put black quarterbacks on. Just give him simple reads, 17 to 20 throws. 
he can be successful. And that's the God honest truth. Why? Because you're putting the ball in the belly of a guy in uh, Lamar Miller that has game-breaking speed. Tannehill is the master on the comeback routes, the uh, the the curls, your deep curls. I like him on the deep in routes. You know, he has he has a strong arm to drive the football in there into a tight window. It's the other passes that he has issues, like your crossers. He seems to, he tends he tends to see those late and gets receivers sacrifice over the middle. We all talked about his deep ball accuracy, and people are going to go and find all the little nuance. They're going to cherry pick on narrative street, narrative street, find these articles and numbers and charts, and, well, look how he is on a deep ball. When he's on the right hash inside the 38-yard line going into the south end zone, his deep ball accuracy is amongst the best in the league. All I'm saying is the ball is scary, but you can win with him. But you can't force him to be something he's not. Blake Bortles is the most inconsistent quarterback of the the you know the rook the second year quarterbacks, and I think his issue is the fact that he tries too hard. He's not afraid. He's a tough guy. He's mobile. He's trying to get out there and win, but he makes the worst decisions at the worst time. He keeps both teams in the game. People say, "Well, you can say that about Brett Favre." No, Brett Favre didn't do that poor of a job. But you can win with Bortles if you minimize his opportunities. And, to, and Bortles' issues, I think, will smooth out over time. Because as you get older, you, you tend to get a little bit more conservative. Conservative, And that's in real life, too. You you know, you don't take as many risks as you did when you were younger. In my 30s, I'm not doing the same things that, I've, that I used to do in my 20s. You, you're a little bit more conservative. You take less risks. You're more calculated with your risks. And therefore, you don't make a lot of mistakes. That ties into football. So I think Bortles is going to be fine as he gets older, you know, which is why you saw growth from him this year in a touchdowns department, but you're still seeing some bad decisions. I think those will smooth out over time. That's being fair and balanced. That's not looking at – so point I was trying to make about the outliers versus the trends, Tannehill is a trend. There's no – so people will try to find one play of – oh, see, look. Look at him stepping up in the pocket and making a, a throw. Great. That's called an outlier. He doesn't do that on a consistent basis, which is why – People say he's an inconsistent player. You can't win with that level of inconsistency. But when you're cherry picking on narrative street, you're going to find things that fit your argument. Instead of looking at the things on a big picture scale or a grand scale, you tend to focus on things that don't really add up. You know, they're, they're, you're focusing on the outliers. While just or people will say, well, I disagree with you. And, you know, I respect your opinion, but I disagree with you. That's fine. But you're still wrong as fuck, <laughs> you know. So that that's the thing. You could you could have an opinion. You can have a wrong opinion. You know, we were we got into a debate back and forth. Um, uh, a guy John Lenyard, uh, I believe, on Twitter. Good guy. You know, put, trying to put out some productive stuff. Trying to do you know his own thing. Um, he posted a vine of uh, A. Sean Robinson not getting off a block you know, or not using his hands. When in actuality, the vine showed him doing the exact opposite, using his hands, maintaining the line of scrimmage, keeping the, the blocker from reaching the second level, which allowed the linebackers to make the play for a one-yard game. I pointed that out to the young man. Nah, I, not for where I'm saying. I respect your opinion, but I disagree. How can you disagree with what's happening on film? You posted it. That's like, posting a picture of me moonwalking and you're saying I'm breakdancing. No. So you have to, if if it doesn't fit your narrative, you're going to cherry pick your, your comments. You got to be careful with that. If you want to be anything in this business or grow, or just get better at what you're doing. You have to not like cherries. I can easily cherry pick everything. You know, for instance, I can tell you right now that uh, who can I? Ch- I could I can go and find all of the throws that Kellen Moore has made has completed. Put it together in a five minute video, and you think you're looking at Joe Montana with ignoring the stuff that he hasn't had success with. 
you know, which is sometimes versus the blitz, he tends to be a little late. You want to, you want to see him get rid of the football quickly. That played them yesterday versus Buffalo or Sunday versus Buffalo. That's fair. I'm not going to sit here and dismiss something uh, when I, you know, I don't, I don't get where this has gone to where people don't want to tell the full story. Like, what the, who the fuck does that? You know, why are you? In, and I've cursed so so much on this podcast, and I'm sorry, guys, because some people will say, oh, I can't listen to all the cursing. I can't listen to all the cursing. Like, you can really go take that bag and a uh, bag of whatever and, and go suck on it. You know, so, but I, I'll I'll end it here. I, I'll wait to hear the feedback from this one. I know this was going to be a lightning rod. A lot of these podcasts have been lightning rods, but there's a lot of truth in here. Don't dismiss the message that lies within the delivery. You know, so I want to thank you guys for supporting Football Game Plan. Check out our books on footballgameplan.com slash books. Football, a love story. What did football teach me? And stiff-arming football myths. And we have some more great books coming out this summer. This one, These books will be more football scouting related. That's the only tidbit I'll give you guys uh, without, you know, giving you the full details. But be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for our unique draft guide this year, which will be the first of its kind. I'm not telling you that because people still. Um, so be on the lookout for that. Be on the lookout for our bowl videos that we're pumping out right now. We just released a Texas bowl video where Texas Tech and LSU kick off tonight at nine. They have three bowl games today. Uh, four. You got Cal and Air Force in the Armed Forces Bowl um, at two, all Eastern times. Uh, North Carolina Baylor at the in the Russell Athletic Bowl at five thirty. The Home Loans Bowl, Arizona Bowl. I'm sorry, Colorado State. Nevada, even though these two teams are in the same conference, they didn't play each other this year, so it should be an intriguing game. Mike Bobo is an excellent coach. Shout out to Mike Bobo. He's in our book. He's in our, He's in both our books. That's at 730. And at 9, you have the Texas Bowl, LSU, Texas Tech, where Texas Tech has given up 271 yards a game on the ground, and they're facing Leonard Fournette. That should be a fun watch, guys. So I appreciate all the support that you give Football Game Plan. Follow us on Twitter at Plan. Follow Gene at Gene Clemens, Teron at, at T Davenport underscore NFL, at Brandon Howard for, for doing some good work for us. All the guys, basically go to my follow list, the guys that I follow, and follow all those guys because everybody's out there doing good work. And as much as we go back and forth with one another, whether we agree or disagree, much love for all those guys out there putting their own thoughts out there for people to, to critique, for people to read, for people to watch, for me to talk about on the podcast. It takes courage to put out your own thoughts. A lot of people can say stuff behind uh, closed doors, but it takes a real courage to put out your stuff. And the fact that you're putting out your own stuff on your own website or out there on Twitter, you're writing your blogs or you, you're recording a podcast, shout out to you for, for being brave enough to put out your own work and, and uh, you know, holding your own feet to the fire. So with that said, you just listened to another episode of Direct Snap. Have you ever felt? Are you listening? Damn. Uh. Yeah.